Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we'll be looking together at verses 13 through 17 this morning. Don't forget that we offer sermon-taking notebooks, no cost to you. I want to encourage you to continue to use that as we've been making our way through the Stronger series. We've said that there are private habits and public habits that believers can maintain in their lives to make them stronger. And by stronger, we mean more faithful and ultimately more fruitful for the cause of Christ. One of those was worship. We've looked at worship together. We've looked at small groups together, gathering together in small groups, speaking the, uh, uh, the truth and love to each other, strengthening each other, building each other up in that way. Last week, we looked at service as one way in which we, we uh, minister to each other, build each other up. We uh, are grateful. I want to say thank you for all of you who showed up, turned in cards. We had uh, hundreds of cards turned in. We had a good number of people who say, I'm ready for the first time to begin to serve, or I'm ready again to serve in, in a fresh place. And so we're grateful for that. Thank you for uh, being part of that last Sunday morning. So today we're looking at a fourth discipline, and that is the discipline of sharing our faith, the uh, a habit that brings the strength of faithfulness and fruitfulness into every believer's life, sharing the good news about Jesus. Now, as we come to Romans chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, what we find is we have a remarkable piece of, of Scripture before us. If you'll look at that passage, most of you are going to know that Romans is perhaps the apex of the New Testament in terms of explaining the cross, why Christ has come, what he's done. It is uh, one of the richest portions of the New Testament. And verses 16 and 17, which is part of our passage, is, is a summary of the entire book. So this is an important, important portion of Scripture because as Paul comes into Romans 1, he's doing two things. He's introducing himself because nobody in Rome knows him directly. And secondly, he's explaining why it is that he wants to come and be with them. So he's saying, here I am and I'm coming and here's why. So it's important because we get the summary in verses 16 and 17, but it's also important because Paul models for us the mindset that believers are to have toward themselves, toward the world, and toward the gospel, he models that mindset that all believers are to have as he introduces and explains why it is that he wants to come to Rome. He says in verse 12, I want to come to share a spiritual gift with you. I want us to be mutually encouraged by my coming, believer to believer. That's part of the body of Christ, part of why we love the church of Jesus Christ is because when it is healthy, we're encouraging and building each other up. So very important. He says, I want to come for that reason. But secondly, he says, I want to come because I'm looking, verse 13, I'm looking for a harvest. I'm looking for a harvest of people. I'm looking for fruit. I'm, I'm wanting to see 
More people come to a saving faith in Jesus through the declaration of the gospel. So those are the reasons I'm coming, and I want you to know. Now, as he explains why he's coming, he says some very important things about himself. And again, about how he sees himself, how he sees his world, and how he sees the gospel. And he becomes a model then for us of how we should see ourselves, our world, and that same gospel. What he's modeling for us effectively is how to live on mission. How to live on mission or how to live out of the mission that Christ has given us in his great commission, the mission of making disciples by first winning people to Christ and then helping them to grow in obedience to Christ. Now, let me say this really quickly. I know right out of the gate, I know right out of the gate, that when you talk about evangelism, for most followers of Jesus, this is a very sensitive subject because almost immediately you can feel, if you understand it, you can feel very, very guilty. And uh, many of us will say, I don't share like I should. I don't share like I could. And every time you hear a message like this one, almost immediately you feel weighted down. I, I wanna say to you right out of the gate, I'm not here to guilt you. I have no desire to have a guilt ministry in your life. I do want, though, today, I do want to remind you of the great privilege that you have, and I want to make the case to you today, I want to make the case to you that you can live the best life possible by actually practicing what we're talking about today, that you will find uh, a great deal of the reason why you're here, satisfied as you live on mission, as you live intentionally out of your life, sharing, identifying with Christ, pointing others to Christ, sharing the gospel of Christ. Now, I want you to see with me as Paul uh, begins to explain why he wants this harvest, this is what he says. Let's read it together, beginning at verse 13. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. But I wanted to come in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. That's why I want to come to the city of Rome. And he says, I'm under, let me, let me explain why. He says, verse 14, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So, he says, for this reason, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It is written, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, immediately we notice three things that Paul has said about himself. He has said, I'm obligated. He says, I'm eager. And he says, thirdly, I am unashamed. I'm obligated, I'm eager, and I'm unashamed. Obligated, eager, unashamed to share the gospel. Now, that's bold and it's admirable, and we applaud that, and many of us would say, I wanna be just like that. But here's the reality, what Paul is saying and what he's describing about himself is not the way we've experienced most believers discussing or describing evangelism. This is not the way we see most believers describing themselves, indebted, 
uh, obliged, describing the world, eager to share, describing uh, the actual sharing of the gospel without any shame, free of shame. More often than not, for, for many believers, evangelism isn't seen so much as an obligation, but it's seen more like an option, especially for super saints, for the really bold, for the really daring, for the, for the super extroverts. How many of you are present this morning? No extroverts, all introverts this morning? Come on, if you're a real extrovert, you've got both hands up right now. Yep, there we go. I knew it. I knew it. They can't help it. It's just the way God made them. They're going to do that. So uh, we, we think now it's, 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 it's really optional, and it's especially for those who are super saints. It's often associated, evangelism is often associated with fear, not with eagerness. That's not something we're used to. We're used to more talking about how we're kind of leery of sharing our faith or are a little frightened to, to share our faith, not can't wait to share my faith, not typical of what we hear. And finally, if we're honest, believers can tend to be more ashamed of the gospel outside of church gatherings than they actually are inside. Hostile world can make it hard to make the gospel and sharing it easy. It can make it very shameful. And so it can be easy not to identify with Christ, easy not to share our faith. And for all of these reasons and others, evangelism is for many a burden. But here's the odd thing. For, for Paul, he acts like it's a blessing. He acts like it's a blessing. So what's the difference? Some might say, well, it's because he is a super Christian. He is a super apostle. I mean, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's, a, he's the apostle to the non-Jews. So he's got a little something extra that the rest of us don't have, perhaps. And it is true that he is the apostle to the Gentiles, but we've got to remember something here. And I want to remind you that before Paul was an apostle, he was made a disciple just like us. And this means that just like us, he was given a share in the great commission of Jesus to go into our world and make disciples, something that always begins with evangelism. Like us, Paul was a sinner, saved by grace through faith. Like us, he was made a disciple who was meant to make disciples. Unlike us, yes, he was called to be an apostle where we've been called to be salespeople and we've been called to be lawyers and plumbers and landscapers and PAs and doctors and students and teachers and small business owners and bankers and builders and candlestick makers. He's an apostle, we're not. But, but here's what I want you to see. He was a sinner saved by grace through faith. He was made a disciple to make disciples before he was ever an apostle. He's called to be an apostle, but he was made a disciple. And what we share is, if we're followers of Jesus, we were all made to be disciples who make disciples. And this is absolutely critical, and I want you to see this. To live on mission is to understand those first two things and not insist on being the third. I, I have been a sinner saved by grace through faith. I have been made a disciple. I don't have to be an apostle. I can be on mission as a plumber. I can be on mission as a PA. I should be on mission as a lawyer, doctor, Indian chief, landscaper, small business owner, clerk, whatever. I should be. I can be. And that's the whole point of this. And that's why Paul, what he has to say here is so important for us to see and so important for us to understand. The difference is, is, is found right here. It's found in the way that Paul sees himself 
It's, it's the difference between him and us is often the way he sees himself, the way he sees his world, and the way he sees the gospel. And so what we can take from this and what we're going to look at today is how we should see ourselves, how we can see our world. And next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll look at how we must see the gospel in order to live strong, be faithful and fruitful with the gospel given to us. Now, I want you to look with me, first of all, in verse 14, how it is believers should see themselves. With Paul as our model, how should believers see themselves? How should we see ourselves? He says, notice, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Notice this, Paul's motivation for sharing the gospel in Rome, the reason he wants to go to Rome, is anchored first in how he sees himself in relation to the rest of the world around him. When he says, I am under obligation, what he's literally saying is, I am debtor. I am debtor. This is how Paul understands himself. This is how Paul sees himself when he goes to Lowe's, when he goes to Harris Teeter, when he goes to Home Depot. This is how he sees himself. I am debtor. Every person he ever met, in, in Paul's mind, came with an IOU with his name on it. Now, this is a strange concept, especially as Paul says he's a debtor, not to God, but to the world. Now, elsewhere, he does say, I, I, I'm, I'm controlled, I'm motivated by the love of Christ, so I have a debt to Christ. He does say that, but right here, that's not what he says. He says, I've got a debt to the Greeks and the barbarians, cultured people, uncultured people. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a debt to the wise and to the foolish, the educated and the, and the uneducated. I've got a debt to everybody. That's his message. He's consciously indebted to everyone everywhere he goes. Question is, why? John R.W. Stott, the great English pastor, theologian, explains this, this concept so well. I love it. I'm just going to pick it up and use it today. He says this. He says, there are two possible ways of getting into debt. He said, first of all, the first way is to borrow money from someone the second way is to be given money for someone by a third party. So for example, let's say that I, I come to you and I say, I need some cash. And I say, can I borrow five grand? And, and you say, yes. And because I'm your pastor, you say no interest. And I say, thank you. And uh, I love that because interest rates are awful right now. And so the, just that you would do that blesses my heart. Just let me know who you are. I'll, I'll meet you right out in the corner. But let's say I borrow $5,000 from you. As long as I've got your money, I'm in debt to you. I'm in debt to you. But if a friend of yours handed me $5,000 for you, then I would again be in your debt, but I would be in debt to you for what the other person gave me. And I would be in debt to you until I handed that five grand over to you. In the first case, we get ourselves into debt. In the second case, someone else has put us into debt by giving us something for another. It's the second case that Paul speaks of here. Look, 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 we're all in debt. We're all in debt to somebody or something because of what we've received that we didn't deserve. Every person in this room has received something they didn't deserve. And you have a sense, you see that maybe it's a mom, it's a dad, an uncle, an aunt, maybe it's a teacher who poured into you, a coach who meant a lot to you, who really spent extra time with you. We all have that experience. But what I want you to see here is, this is especially true for followers of Jesus. Like all believers, 
Paul hasn't borrowed from the, 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 uh, anything from the Greeks or the barbarians, the wise or the foolish that he has to repay them. But Jesus in giving himself for Paul and Jesus in seeing that Paul received the gospel, he, he, he had it shared with him. And in seeing to it that Paul received that gospel, along with this gift of himself, what Christ has given to him is a gospel that he intends to be given away. The gospel comes with a debt. Jesus uses it to change our lives, but he also gives it to us to give to somebody else. Does that make sense? And that's the sense in which we are all debtors. The gospel isn't just for Paul. The, the gospel isn't just for his family. It isn't just for people like Paul. The gospel is for everyone. And whenever this gospel gift is received, it becomes a debt to the receiver, a debt owed to everyone. So every believer is a debtor to the world. Every believer is a debtor, especially to those in the house or the world in which God has put them. You will remember back in the first part of this year, we, we were making our way through the new year and, and we handed out these cards to you and I challenged you, we were making our way through one of the gospels and I challenged you to think about who lives in your house because we, we were saying, Jesus said, look, look, let your light so shine before men that they're, they're, they're able to see his light come to faith in Christ. So we asked the question, who's in your house? We asked the question, who, who are your neighbors? Uh, who, who, who's the cashier you, you typically buy from? Who's in your gym? Who works out with you? Who runs with you? Who, uh, who is your hairstylist? All those kind of questions. Who do you see on a regular basis? Who is in your house? Who are your neighbors who live next door to you or across the street or across the field from you? Whatever. Who is in your house? Who, who is in your life that you have regular, consistent contact with? We asked that question because we said every single one of them needs and deserves from you a witness to Jesus. Every single one. Why? Well, now we're seeing why. Because, well, we're under obligation to, to do two things. To make it known, the gospel and Jesus, and to make it knowable to others by sharing it. So this is how Paul saw himself. Everywhere he went, I'm a debtor. Everywhere he went, I'm a debtor. And this is how we should see ourselves. This is who we are. We are gospel debtors to our world. Everybody who lives in our house comes with an I owe you, or really, I guess we could call it a you owe me. Notice too, look at verse 15, how believers uh, can see their world. It's like the way Paul saw his world. So he sees himself as a debtor to everyone everywhere, but he also sees his world in a, in a specific way. Notice he says, so for this reason, because I am debtor, because I'm obligated, I'm eager to preach. Now, this is, sounds like what I'm doing right now, but that word actually means announce or proclaim or declare. We call it sharing. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to share the gospel with you also who are in Rome. Paul says he's eager or ready to share the gospel with the world for two reasons. First, he's eager and ready to share because as we've seen, he's obligated to do it by Christ. 
He wants to pay his gospel debt and give others what Christ has given him to give to them. But second, he's eager and ready to share because when Paul sees Rome, what he sees is a densely packed city of one million people living in a, in a, in a, in a global setting with incredible influence, the center of the known world. It's a city that everyone wanted to visit at least once in their lifetime. But when Paul sees this city, what he's saying is he doesn't view it as a tourist. He's not going to see the great buildings. He's not going to see the Pantheon or whatever. He, he, he doesn't view it as, as a tourist. He, he sees it as an opportunity. He sees not great buildings, but lost people who desperately need what he has, whether they want it or not, whether they know it or not. You owed a debt to the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish. You can find them absolutely everywhere in Rome. Everywhere in Rome. They were everywhere. People from all over the world were in Rome. And so this is what I want you to see with me. This is how Paul sees his world. Okay, now I want every follower of Jesus to really dial in right now. This is how Paul sees his world. As an opportunity. I'm going to pause real quick right here. How do you see your world? Seriously, as a follower of Jesus, let me speak to followers of Jesus right now. How do you see, the, how do you see your world right now? How do you see our culture right now? Do you see it upside down? You probably see it upside down and spinning crazy. Do you see it that way? I get it. You feel a little dizzy from everything going on? Probably so. You ever feel angry with the way things are going? Ever feel frustrated? Ever find yourself yelling at your TV or podcast or? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Ever find yourself debating a family member at Thanksgiving? Ever feel hurt by the culture because it dismisses your faith or your core values? Mm -hmm. I get it. I absolutely get it. I want you to notice something with me. Paul's view of the world is different. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to be concerned. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I, I'm not. I, I share the same concerns. I, I'm with you, but I want you to notice something with me. For the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ, Paul has been stoned. He has been beaten several times nearly to death, jailed, Imprisoned, run out of town, riots have happened because he shared the gospel. He's not had an easy time of it. He will not have an easy time of it. He'll, he'll lose his life for the gospel eventually. Curious. When he looks at this world that has so mistreated him, abused him, persecuted him, he doesn't say, I'm so angry, I'm never telling anybody else about the gospel. You can all go to hell. 
He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't go on a, a, an avoidance binge saying, you know what, this world is so messed up, I'm just going to avoid it all. He, he doesn't abandon it and say, well, y'all just have, have at it. I'm going to buy three truckloads of army rations, stick them in my basement, and wait for Jesus. He, he doesn't do that. What, what does he do? What does he do? What does he do? Eager to do what, Paul? I'm eager to engage. You're eager to engage? Yeah, I'm eager, I'm eager to engage. I'm eager to engage with the gospel, lost people. I'm eager. I'm not angry. I'm eager. I'm not avoiding. I'm eager. I'm not spiritually haughty. I'm not fearful. That doesn't mean that he didn't have fear, but he sees the world of people around him as a world filled with gospel opportunities for eternity. And I want to say something to you if you just hear me for a moment. Loved ones, speaking again to believers, if we get angry with the world, so angry that we don't ever share the gospel, if we get so haughty saying, I'm so much better than you, I don't have this confusion you have, I don't have this issue you have. Our, our anger or our haughtiness, our abandonment or our avoidance of the world as gospel bearers, I just want to say this to you, fixes nothing. You can yell it at your screen all day. It fixes nothing. You can... Yell at your cousin across the Thanksgiving table. It fixes nothing. It fixes nothing. But eagerness with the gospel, that can change everything. Anger fixes nothing. Eagerness can change everything. Why? Because Paul says later in verse 16, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. You want to see real, real change? Don't get angry and start yelling. Get eager and start sharing. This is what every believer should be. Eager for the world, not angry with the world. Eager to identify with Jesus. Eager for the world to know Jesus. Eager to help them find him in the gospel. We should see in our world of people, the people in our house, Opportunities for the gospel and opportunities for life. For life. Every time I check out in the grocery store, that person right in front of me, an opportunity. I have a debt. They got an IOU. <laughs> an opportunity. An opportunity. Every person I work with, every person I live near, an opportunity. An opportunity for the gospel. It's right to be concerned for our nation. It's right to be concerned for where it's going, where it's headed. It's right to be concerned about all those things. But if we become so concerned that we're angry and never share the gospel, that we retreat, we, we don't engage, we're missing it. We're missing it. This is not what Christ has called us to. 
Loved ones, you know that I, I can't and I won't decide for you how you're going to identify with Jesus, how or whether you'll share the gospel with the people in your house. But this much I know. Every one of us who are believers, each of us as believers, have a world of people around us and a world of gospel opportunities before us. And we're privileged to identify with Jesus, even if the world doesn't see it as a privilege. Even if they use Jesus to mock us, it is a privilege to identify with Jesus. It's a privilege for us to know the gospel. It's a privilege for us to bear the gospel. And no one who lives with us or near us in our world, in our house, should ever be in the dark about our faith commitment to Christ, should ever be in the dark about his cross-proved love for them. No one in our world should live alongside us for long and not have the chance to hear who Jesus is for us, what Jesus has done for us, what he offers to them. Everyone should have the chance to hear the whole gospel in its simplicity and its beauty. And every person living in our house should have that opportunity from us. So what does that mean for you and for me? What, is, what does it actually mean to, to actually live on mission like this where we're, where we're thinking, I'm deader, and, and we're thinking that the world is an opportunity, not just an enemy. It is an enemy. It is an enemy. Jesus said it was, but, 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 but even more, Paul says it's, it's, it's an opportunity. How do you live on mission like that? Let me give you a couple of, of uh, insights for that to help you, because I want to help you. First of all, you got to start with where you are. You got to see yourself as a gospel debtor to everyone God has put around you. you you've got to say to the world and say to yourself as you see the world, I owe you, 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 I owe you the gospel. Secondly, you've got to eagerly make the most of what you actually have. And that is make the most of all the gospel opportunities in your world. Every single one of us has gospel opportunities. We've got to be like Paul, ready for them. We've got to expect them. We've got to seize them when they come. And it seems to me our gospel opportunities as believers come in three forms. First of all, we have the gospel opportunity to identify with Christ and his local church quickly and regularly in our relationships without being braggy. I love the way I've seen several of our people kind of living this out of, 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 of seizing their gospel opportunities and, and identifying with Christ and his church. Um, uh, one of our ladies is a hairstylist, a hairstylist. I asked the first service whether it was hairdresser or hairstylist. I have no idea. I just get my haircut. But I'm told it's hairstylist. So one of our hairstylists told me that, that uh, she'd been doing it a long time. I, I asked her, I said, what do, you, what do you like most about your job? I, I said, I'll bet you do a lot of counseling as you're fixing hair. How many of you ever got counsel from your hairstylist? You've got a, advice? Yeah, no men, all women, but good. Uh, men, we don't take advice. But uh, she said, I, I said, well, what do, you, what do you enjoy most? I said, are you a counselor? She said, yeah, I am. I do, I do probably do, I hear a lot of problems. And she said, I, I do try to help people, but she looked me right in the eye and she said, but pastor, my greatest opportunity as a hairstylist is sharing the gospel. Do you see what she was saying to me? 
She was saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace through faith. I've been made a disciple who makes disciples, and I've been called to be a hairstylist. I've been called to be a hairstylist. You got another couple in our church that, that boards dogs, grooms dogs, and trains dogs. And I was on their website the other day, and, and I noticed at the, at the bottom of every page, John 3, 16 on their website, every single page under who we are, John 3, 16. I loved it. If you ask that couple, who are you? They would say, we're a couple on mission. They would say, they wouldn't say we train dogs, groom dogs, um, and dog hairstylists. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say that. What they would say is, we're sinners saved by grace through faith. We've been, made we've been made disciples who make disciples, and we happen to be dog groomers and dog trainers. That's who we happen to be. But our mission is not, is not dogs. Our mission is people. My mission is not hair. My mission is people. Your mission is not real estate. Your mission is people. Your mission is not law. Your mission is people. Your mission is not engineering. Your mission is people. Your, your mission is not school. Your mission is people. That's your mission. That's your mission. Every season of life, you may be retired. Your mission has not changed. Your mission has not changed. Your mission has not changed. So it's finding opportunities. So first, you have this gospel opportunity to identify with Christ and his local church quickly and regularly in your relationships and all that you do. And, and of course, without being braggy. It's an interesting thing. You probably haven't thought about it, but when you identify with a local church, you identify with Christ. Why? Because the scripture tells us that the church is his body, his bride, his people. And still, where we live, the vast majority of people you will meet here and now connect the church with the Jesus of the Bible. And so a great way to do this a great way to make the most of the opportunities you have is to work Jesus into your conversations or to work, your, to, to work church into your conversations. One, one way to do that is by offering to pray for people. Uh, I love to do this when I'm eating out and somebody comes up to my, the, the waiter comes up to my table, especially when they bring the food. I love to say, we're getting ready to bless this food. We're getting ready to pray over this meal. Or, or I love to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe God answers prayer. We're getting ready to pray for this food. How can we pray for you? How can I pray for you? It's this identification with Jesus as soon as you can in a relationship so people know who you are and, and where, where, where you stand. It's really, really important. Um, listen, listen, uh, identifying with Christ, identifying as an active member of a local church uh, can very easily and, and uh, impactfully open the door for the gospel. I've had the opportunity to share just by saying, how can I pray? I've had people cry. I had one guy tell me, I'd appreciate it if you didn't. He said, I'm an atheist. I said, okay, well, I still, I, I, you know, I, I got in there. Just get a word in. Who knows? Who knows? You don't know how that might impact his life at one point. You just don't know. But if all I did was say, I don't want sweet tea. I want half and half. And, and, I, want, and I want a Cobb salad. If that's all I said, what impact have I made in that moment? What impact? None. But when I do that and identify with Jesus and I tip really well because I, 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 I want to point to him. We can, do, we can do this, make the most of our opportunities by talking about church. Saying things like, I was, 
I was at church Sunday and the pastor said in his message something I never thought of or I'd forgotten, but it's true. He said, we're all in debt to somebody or something because what we've received that we didn't deserve. Or it can start as simple as, listen, after church on Sunday, we went to Tanglewood for a walk. What this does is by identifying with Jesus and then, and then marking yourself as his, you're, you're actually inviting people to watch your life. You're actually inviting people to, to, uh, to, to watch you for signs of life, of God's life. And I'm telling you, when you do that and when you live, you're never going to live a perfect life. But when you live a life marked by Jesus and you're, you're simply trying to live out the life that he's given you, I'm telling you what will happen on the job, in the gym or whatever is when people come to have a crisis, a lot of them will come to you and say, will you pray for me? How many of you have actually experienced that? Look at, look at that. I mean, just hold your hand up. And basically, they say, I know you're a follower of Jesus. Will you pray for me? They will never do that if they don't know. Ever. I had one of our ladies tell me just this Wednesday, she's taking a, she's taking a survey online and, and having to answer, finish the question, I am blank. And soon out of the gate, she said, she's working for a company in Charleston. And, and soon out of the gate, I think like she said, the third time she said, I am a follower of Jesus. I love that. She had no idea how that would go over because it was all virtual. What people would think. She said, I went first and boom, out of the gate. And she said, I was so encouraged by others who started saying, I'm a follower of Jesus too. And I'm a follower of Jesus too. I love that. I love that. It opens the door for the gospel. If, you know, if I spend three years cultivating a relationship with you at, at work, let's just say this. I spend three years cultivating a relationship with you and, and I want to see you come to faith in Christ. I spend three years cultivating a relationship with you, but I never self-identify as a follower of Jesus. I never self-identify as a part of a local body. I never give you any indication that there's much of anything about me that's related to Jesus. I may be kind to you. I may sacrifice for you. I, I, may, I may bend over backward when you're going through a crisis or whatever. They'll just think I'm a really nice person. When the truth is, watch, I'm a sinner saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, made a disciple to make disciples. That's the truth about me. I'm a sinner. My life's been changed because of Jesus. And if anybody's going to get the credit for any good that I do, it really needs to be. Who? You're letting me down, man. Thank you. He helped me last week, but he, I don't know. Jesus. Really ought to be Jesus. Am, am I right? Will people reject you if you do that? Mm -hmm. Some people will. But one of the things I want to remind you, I love this. Jesus said, you know, at one point, he said, uh, let me remind you, you need to be praying that the Lord of harvest will send laborers into his field. Why? Because the, the harvest is white. What does that mean? It's ready. I want to remind you of something here, that there are people in your house right here, right now, people that you're going to come into contact with who actually are ready to start a conversation with you about Jesus. They will never start that conversation if they don't know you belong to him. 
if they don't get the fact, don't know that you're his. Yeah, there will be people. I'll never forget the first time I ever led somebody to Christ was in uh, Baltimore, uh, Maryland. And I was going door to door. And the first door I knocked on and started to share my faith, slammed the door in my face. I can tell you, I was not eager. I felt obligated, but I was not eager after that. I was eager when I walked up. Bang! Have you ever had that happen? It's awful to have the door slammed in your face. Went to the next house. Not interested. Next house. Don't want it. Next house. Slam the door. It's like, whew. Next house. Lady opened the door. She let me share the gospel. She received Jesus. I had to go through a lot of door slammings and a lot of rejection to get to her, but she was ready. And I just wonder what would have happened if I'd let that first slamming door keep me from going to the next house and that next house and the next house and finally the final house where she was. What would have happened? I would never have gone. I would never have gone if I had decided I will never let anybody slam the door in my face. I'm just gonna keep my distance. I'd have never gone. Our gospel opportunities take a second form, and that is inviting people actually to come and see. With come and see, you live on mission thinking about two kinds of people. First, those who once had a connection to the church of Jesus, those who have heard or know something of the gospel, but who are now disconnected from the local church and may not have ever known Jesus personally. I call them gospel prodigals. They've been out of church, away from church. Maybe, maybe we're raised a little bit in church. Second group of people to be thinking about are believers who are new to the area or whose church has left or is leaving the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We might call them gospel seekers. But when it comes to gospel prodigals and seekers, the most powerful step we can take is a personal invitation to a church service or other special church event and say, come and see. Come and see what, what the body of Christ is like. Come and see what Christ can do in the lives of people. Inviting them to a marriage or a parenting conference, a youth event, summer adventure or Christmas or, or Easter services. You can't do this with a rank pagan who doesn't know who Jesus is, but you can do it with those who are prodigals. And you can do it with those who are looking. And we still have quite a few of those in our region, more than other places in the, in, in the, in the country. And remember, too, not every person who used to go to church actually knows Jesus. Not every person who's looking for a church actually knows him personally because they've never heard the gospel. So invite them to come and see. One of our men told me last week, he said, I, I invited a, a, a coworker to come. And he said, I just threw this in. He said, why don't you come? And he said, I'll sit with you. And the guy came and he sat with him. Made it so much easier. And I just say, go one better. Say, hey, why don't you come to church? Come to church with me. I'll sit with you and then I'll take you to lunch. A great way to do this, reaching out to prodigals and gospel seekers passively uh, we provide, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had from people just wearing this wristband, asking about the wristband. I, I've seen these all over the place. I've seen them in hospitals all over the place. But I, I actually was checking out one time at Walgreens and the woman said, I've got one of those. And I did not know who she was. And I said, well, do you go to Center Grove? She said, no. Well, 
I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, okay, well, you got my full attention now. How did you get it? She said, somebody came in wearing one and told me what it was all about. And she said, I liked it. I asked if I could have theirs. And they said, yes. Oh, we, we got wristbands, we got shirts and other gear. One of the most, you won't believe this, but one of the most impactful passive ways to identify with Jesus is to put a center grove decal on your car. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're a terrible driver and you don't want to hurt Jesus' name. I just want to say to you, you need to come to Jesus, deal with your anger issues, stick that applique on your car and drive like Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but I cannot tell you how many people have actually found their way. This is a form of passive form of come and see because they saw so many Center Grove appliques or magnets on the back of a car. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. You just take it and stick it on the back of your car. I, I got one company here, a member owns a company here, every, back of every one of his trucks is a Center Grove sticker. I love it, I love it. Points to, it's just a passive way. Once you stick it on there, you don't have to think about it anymore. It's really easy. It's so easy that we have them available for you just as you step out. And I'll help you put it on your car today if you need help. How does that sound? It's one of the easiest ways to identify yourself with Christ and his church. The third way is not come and see, but go and tell. And go and tell is basically for people who are clueless when it comes to the gospel, clueless when it comes to the Bible, weren't raised in church, just don't know. And the way we're going to reach them is this, is, is going to be by beginning to build a relationship with them, identifying early with Christ and then putting on display for them by our relationship and by the way we treat them, what Christ is like and what he can do in a life. It's a matter of praying for them regularly. Before I go work out, I pray for the people I know are gonna be there. Before I go for a run with my running club, I pray for those that I know need Jesus before I go running. I'm praying for them regularly. It means building this relationship and being open and ready to share the gospel, sometimes once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times. It means being ready, willing, and able to care and, and to have them push back and to still love them. It means hanging with them long enough that they get the opportunity to have a fair chance to hear the gospel and say yes or no to Jesus. A couple of months ago, I took my mother to Greensboro and to the first house she and my dad ever bought. It's been a long time since she's been there. I have a few memories of that house. I was just a little guy. And so we drove over to Greensboro and pulled up to this house. And uh, the family was outside the house. And I thought, well, I'll just go tell them why we're sitting in front of their house staring at them and uh, told them, 
that my mom had been the first person to, to live in this house and she bought the first house she ever owned and all this. And the lady was so kind. She said, well, come on in, come on in. It's an African-American lady. She said, come on in. And she showed us her house and met her daughter and her boyfriend. And, and it was really, really sweet. I saw the room where my first bedroom, uh, hadn't seen that in years. Um, but it was a really, uh, it was really a, a, a powerful kind of a sweet moment for us. As we were pulling out, and I was on, on Mobile Road and getting onto Randleman Road, right there at the corner, there's a gas station. And my mom pointed at that gas station and she said, that's that gas station your dad used to talk about. And I knew exactly the story she was, she was telling. Back in the day, in the early 1960s, he was pulled off to get some gas there as he was leaving the house. And back in that day, they used to pump the gas for you. So a guy named Jimmy was coming out and he pumped the gas and the Spirit of God prompted my dad and said, you need to share the gospel with Jimmy. And dad said, no, I'm too busy. I don't have time right now. I'll share it with him later. I gotta go. And so he kind of blew off the Holy Spirit and got in this car and he, and he drove off. The next week when he came to get gas, he said, hey, to, to the guy who was filling his tank, he said, hey, where's Jimmy? And he said, oh, you, you haven't heard? said, Jimmy was killed last week. I never forgot that story. I hate to tell you, but I've got my own Jimmy story. I had a man that was dying of cancer. He'd helped invent Velcro. And um, he just said he wanted to talk. I didn't know what about, but he told me he was not a believer. And so I went to his house and I spent some time with him and I shared the gospel with him and he put me off. I never went back because I was busy and I tried, but the truth is I, I didn't try hard enough. He didn't tell me to come back. He didn't tell me not to come back. And I had an open door and I didn't take it. I regret that. To this day, I regret that. And honestly, I'm a little ashamed of it. I didn't go back. I share those stories with you to say that you have probably got a Jimmy in your life. You bear the gospel for a reason. There's some cashier that knows your name because you're always stopping by there. There's some waiter who always waits on you. Somebody you've worked with for 20 years and you've never shared the gospel with them. But I want you to see you call to live on mission. You're there for a reason. You're in that cubicle. You're in that bay. You're in that shop. You're in that truck. You're there for a reason and it's not what you think it is. Every person who lives in your house, this 
deserves to know that you belong to Jesus, to know that you're committed to him and to, to his local church and that Jesus does make a difference. And they're, they deserve to hear the gospel from you. How sinners can be saved by the grace of God through faith. Everybody in our house who doesn't know deserves that. And there's, I can't think of any more important way to invest your life. It's great if you're a hairstylist, but somebody else will take your place when you're gone. But one of the great treasures and trophies we'll take with us to heaven are people that we led to Jesus. People that we pointed to Jesus. Some of us will do sowing. Some of us will do some reaping. But we're all called to be on mission. Let's stand together all across the room. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to think right now about the people who are in your house. About who needs to know you belong to Jesus and who needs to hear the gospel from you. I want you to think for just a minute about all the opportunities you have and whether you're leveraging them all for Christ like you could. Are you doing everything you can with all that you have Share the good news. Actively, passively. You and I are debtors. We owe. You and I are blessed. We got hundreds of opportunities. My prayer and I will begin to see ourselves as Paul did, see our world the way he did. We would be eager, not angry, eager, not haughty. How many of you say, I know someone who needs to hear from me? How many of you say, I know someone who needs to hear from me? I know someone who needs to hear from me. I know someone. Lord God, in this place, we have so many people living in our house who need the Jesus that you have sent and that you've given to us. Would you grant, Lord God, that we would become a people who know we're indebted and who are eager and, Father God, who are unashamed to own the one who has saved us. Grant us courage, boldness. Lord, give us a burden for the lost. Give us a fresh love for Jesus and a deep love for people. Let us take and make and use every opportunity you've given us for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Lord, I pray this morning for every person in this room who has 
does not have confidence about their relationship with you, who knows they have sin, who knows they've erred, who have a lifetime perhaps of regrets, but have not experienced your forgiveness and your presence in their lives, I pray that today they would come to experience that. For Jesus' sake. Okay, look at me. We're going to close the service right now. We're going to close the service right now, but look at me. If you're ready to take that next step toward Christ, where is Seth? Seth Seth and I are going to be out in the lobby. Where will you be, Seth? Tell me where. Next steps, I'll be between the two pillars. Come and talk to us, please. Now, as you exit, you're going to find all your magnets, all your appliques. You're going to find blue cards if you need blue cards to remind you of the people in your house. But let's go. Let's go. Life is short. Eternity is forever. Let's go. We're under obligation. We need to be eager and we need to be unashamed. Stick that blooming applique and magnet on your car and go. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.